You're listening to And what is poppin' everybody? It is Thursday, May the 5th, 2022. I guess um, throwback those tequila shots because it's Cinco de Mayo. Do we celebrate that here? On no, this? that's appropriative. That a- no, no, appropriation, <laughs> Marvin. No, bad. Well, we are recording this on May the 4th, so is that appropriate? Are we appropriating tattooing culture by celebrating Star Wars Day? No, we're just celebrating capitalism is what we're doing. No, because and Star Wars appropriates samurai movies, which is Asian. Yes. So really, yes. uh, we're, we are able, it's our yes. cultural holiday to celebrate. Well, exactly. It, everything's Asian then in the happy future. the day after May the 4th be with you. <laughs> and the day before my birthday, my hey. favorite holiday. That's truly... Uh, it's a A-pom. very Taurus thing. <laughs> we love the we love the month long celebration. I made people start celebrating the eve of May, mm. and I will continue to celebrate uh, for the next few weeks. Birthday's a state of mind, like how best friends a tear. Birthday is a state of mind. Mm. Well, <laughs> yes. celebrating her birthday month is our own self proclaimed professional Asian American gesture. Hello, happy birthday month. <laughs> Thank you, Marvin. <laughs> I'm insufferable. Thank you. Thank you. It's all good. And also joining us, actual professional culture editor, Han Wen. Hey. Hey, Han. <laughs> I was like, actually, am I? Yes, I guess I am. Man. It's been a week. It's been a week, right? It's, it's been a week. Wednesday. It's the first it's week. week of Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. Has not been going great. Just, um, just Wait, nothing happened that? this week, right? Nothing, mm, nothing destroying our faith in um, our... Um, the ability of our government to protect our rights and such. Mm-hmm. <sighs> well, see, like, it's terrible. It's awful. It's really bad. But I am also now so dead inside that yeah. I, like, can't, I don't even feel it anymore on an emotional level. I'm just like, oh, yeah, this is real bad. <laughs> it's like very, like, 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 like as a trauma response, my body's like, nope, it's staying in the head. It's staying as a rational thought. I was like, okay, okay, cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. So, well, at the very least, uh, I guess our governor has pledged to codify mm-hmm. abortion rights finally in our state of California. Supposedly. I mean, I'm gonna be well. I'm gonna be real. Let's be real. We are not the people who will never have options should we need them. Like me, you, yeah. and Han. Like or Marvin. You know, should anything happen to anyone of your partners? Like we are in a place of privilege where if we really needed to, I I'm not fearful of myself. No, right. I would have been down uh, for that men shot that they were developing, you know, decades ago before you, men were like, you can we get, are you don't even not- need to be that complicated. You can get a ball jacuzzi, Marvin. Have you seen, have you heard of that? <laughs> a what? It won the invention of the year. It won the invention of the year. This like uh, Scandinavian woman invented a ball jacuzzi and basically it you it's a little jacuzzi that you, you, you put your balls in and you basically like baste it in warm enough water that it kills your sperm for like 24 so, hours so yeah i so, take pretty hot showers does that work it's like a hundred per- i i'm gonna oh god this is gonna fuck up my search history hold on ball jacuzzi male birth control <laughs> it is called yeah give your testicles a bath it's it's basically like a bidet. it's very cute actually german sorry german <laughs> woman cute. um coveted won the coveted dicing award by uh inventing a testicle bath 
It's very cute. It looks very chic. It looks like, you know, it's like a sous vide for your balls. Wow. For the sperm in your balls. I can't wait for that to be illegal as well. But instead so- of cooking, <laughs> yeah, instead of cooking meat, it's cooking your meat. So for those people who somehow got fooled uh, by this testicle tanning trend, uh, hello, <laughs> heat to your balls, maybe not the best for your uh, testosterone and um, sperm. Oh, it even comes in like potentially will come in orange. They're still developing, I think, for a market. But like, yeah, there's like a kilo orange mock-up. Hey, take me orange to the mock-up. Kickstarter. Actually, Kickstarter is bad now, right? Because they're going to crypto. I don't know. Are they? Are they? Uh, there's no ethical consumption in their capitalism. It's fine. <laughs> anyway. Anyways, this week we'll be doing our monthly um, Asian American news check-in. Do we want this? Where we go over the latest Asian American entertainment news. But before we get to that, let's find out what pop culture is beginning through the week. Um, Han, I'm seeing men here. Is this the movie men or just men in general? Because it, it could be either at this point, at this week. You know what? They're, they're all of a piece, actually. So it, it is a metaphor for men in general. Um, but I am specifically talking about the movie men. It is called men. And as a lot of the greatest uh, movies, these horror movies these days, they are one word, monosyllabic, just like nope. This is men. And um, it is the latest Alex Garland piece. So, you know, Mm. he did Ex Machina, Annihilation. Um, On TV, he did Devs. Uh, So if you kind of know some of those things, you get a feel for it. It's not going to be the happiest stuff. Um, In particular, Men is uh, his kind of take on a horror movie in which Jesse Buckley gets to play British. Yay! And um, she is gets this very cute cottage in the English countryside. Love that um, for her. It's so great. Um, so you also get lots of countryside scenes. And it's because, you know, her husband uh, had killed himself. And so she's trying to kind of escape that sort of, like, that grief and just change her, you know, scope and point of view and just get back to herself, you know, and um, overcome that. I now was going to make a joke. Oh, it's a cute cottagecore film, but no. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, it, it, it here's the thing. The cottagecore might actually be part of the aesthetic because Alex Garland in an Q&A afterwards did say it was uh, inspired by the Richard Curtis films, <laughs> which are like Notting Hill. And <laughs> yeah, and so the very sweet English countryside stuff. So he did want to evoke some of those like very calming and um, comforting feelings of those kind of happy movies until the horror drops. Um, so the first inkling we get that something's a little off is like, uh, the person who's renting it to her is this really country Englishman uh, played by Rory Kinnear, who is fantastic. He's one of my favorite British actors. I love Rory Kinnear. You, if you saw him at the Q&A afterwards, you would have been like, I have a crush on Rory Kinnear now. <laughs> because I went with Angie Han and we both sat through that Q&A and we were just like, is he cute? Like, is he Like, what's going on? I was totally charmed by him. Anyway, so Rory Kinnear is uh, the the landlord or whatever, renting it out, the Airbnb guy, whatever you want to call it. And he's just very awkwardly Britishly charming because he's sort of like a dweeb. And um, But the first really kind of you get is when he opens the doors and like all the walls are red. (laughs) You know, but British houses do have weird, you know, colors. Charming quirks. Yeah, and so you're like, okay, whatever. And so uh, it, it, and it's just a very cute, nice setup. Um, but then when she walks around the countryside, and the, 
I'm not going to give anything away that's not in the trailer, by the way. Um, but when she walks around in the countryside and she goes and finds this tunnel and she starts playing with the Echo, and then the Echo gets a little bit scary. And then someone's also following her. And then every person she meets after that who are men all have the same face as Rory Kinnear because it's played by Rory Kinnear, including wow. a young boy. What? Yeah. So I had seen this trailer once before when I was watching, um, what was I watching? Uh, right before Everything Ever All at Once. And then, yes. then Jess and I, was it Jess and I? Yeah, Jess and I went to go watch um, the Nick Cage movie last weekend and we saw this trailer again and then she mentioned that they're all the same dudes and I was like what? Yes. No, Rory Kinnear has range man that is yeah. that is what we call range he's fantastic yeah I I have to say so I enjoyed all of the you know the like weird scares I love the atmosphere um, I love Rory Kinnear and Jesse Buckley they do amazing work uh, the end there's an end sequence which I will not give away that people have rightfully just called out as like one of the most bizarre memorable sequences that you can ever imagine in a in a horror movie just ima- just imagine this is like Alex Garland doing some body horror um, but uh, overall I think it's like he said, it was a he was doing a film about the sense of horror. And so by the end, I think some people will say it's brilliant. And other people like me will be like, eh, I think it kind of just ca- captured an atmosphere. And, you know, while I enjoyed watching parts of it, I don't know if I would love the film. <laughs> so. Didn't you just this- describe all Alex Garland movies? <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think that, you know, maybe as having seen ex machina the first time i was like okay but then once you kind of keep building and building off of that i was like i don't know i might want some conclusion here um and it it has a conclusion for sure but uh i would love for someone else to watch this so we can just talk about that sequence that i'm you know oh you know me i'm all about those downer endings so (laughs) yes 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 and you know who's to say it's even a downer but uh (laughs) it's it's what i love about it is is very much Almost a two-hander, just like a lot of his other films, but um, or his other work. Um, also female-focused, s- clearly speaking about some sort of gendered violence. I do recommend if you want to have a bizarre experience, but also feel down about the world because of men. Um, yeah. I mean, if there's any time to yeah. watch this, probably. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so that's me. That's popping for me. Um, All right. I'll go next. Um, okay. So this week is the return of the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival. And um, as um, listeners might know, I am a features programmer for that film festival for the last couple of years. So it's been really cool to um, be a part of this film festival that I've been going to for many years. I'm actually presenting two films on Saturday, two feature films um, that I want to talk about really quick. The first one is called Bad Axe. Um, it is a documentary um, that premiered at South by Southwest this year. Um, basically, it's a documentary by um, first-time filmmaker David Sieve, um, who is a Cambodian-American. Um, actually, he's mixed-race Cambodian-Mexican uh, who grew up in a town called Bad Axe, um, Michigan. And basically, his family runs a diner out of that small town. It's like one of those small towns with like two stoplights and one Walmart. He goes back to his hometown to wait out the lockdown in 2020 and documents his family as they run their restaurant through the early days of the pandemic in like Trump country. And so it's very like cinema verite type of like candid moments between his family. He has an older sister, a younger sister. Um, his dad is a refugee from Cambodia who survived the, the killing fields. And what starts off as like, here is how our family is dealing with the lockdown and switching to takeout becomes more of a (laughs) like a 
a story about how their family deals with things like the George Floyd protests that happened during during that time when things opened up again, customers coming in not wearing masks and how the community kind of deals with them as minorities within this community that's also um, overwhelmingly like conservative. Mm. And it's really well done. It's very raw. And, you know, sometimes I don't like it when documentarians put themselves in the film but because he's covering his own family. It's very, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it does work here. And I think it's a really great film. Yeah, it got picked up by IFC Films. So it'll be, be released mm-hmm. um, in theaters and VOD later this year. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it's if you have time, it's playing this Saturday at 3 p.m. at the DGA. If you're in L.A., um, if you come out, you'll see me present the film and do the Q&A, which is Ooh. always fun. Ooh, um, fancy, Marvin. This is, so the film is being screened at DJ One, which I just realized. And that is a freaking huge theater. So I am actually pretty intimidated because mm. I'm, I'm used to like <laughs> smaller houses like the Regal. But this is like a like this is a pretty uh, sizable house. So I, I feel you. The one time I was presenting at comic-con i was just like where is it and now they're like this room i was like okay that's good because i was like i don't want hall h i don't want ballroom 20 i don't need any of those big ass venues Uh, so we'll see um and the other film i'm presenting is called dealing with dad it's more of a like a family drama it's about um three siblings come back home to deal with their dad who just got laid off the dad's like you know depressed and it's, it's about you know it's papa trauma pretty much it's daddy trauma and that's a nice trauma. that's nice diversity um, yeah but Good for uh, them. we've seen the story before right it's very like boilerplate asian american family drama uh, but what really works in this film is the relationship between the siblings who are played by ali maki uh, peter kim and hayden sito and they Ooh. have great chemistry in this film so um it's a lot of fun i think that one's playing at 6 30 at dj1 so i'm presenting two films at dj1 um which yeah I am. <laughs> you got this, Marvin. I, got yeah. I believe in you. <laughs> but yeah, we have a great lineup um, all week at the LA Asian Pacific Film Festival. So if you're interested in catching some great Asian American Pacific Islander films, um, you can check out the schedule at festival.vcmedia.org uh, for tickets. Uh, Jess, what's popping with you? So on the same day that, uh, you know, a bunch of women in this country got their rights stripped away, uh, the Met Gala was happening, which hey. is... Actually, so, you know, people can shit on the Met Gala all they want. And yes, it is frivolous. And I do think some of the discourse around it is taken way too seriously. But at the end of the day, it is a fucking fundraiser for a museum, a nonprofit museum. It pays people. It makes their budget. So, like, everyone, like, calm the fuck down from one nonprofit worker to, Mm -hmm. like, another. Like, congrats on them for creating an event that is so insanely, like... Like raises so much fucking money and his profile is so big. That's like kind of the dream of every nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Let's be real. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, there was a lot of like terrible takes on all sides. I think overall, yes, yes, not most of the people, pre- not really giving this year as much as um, maybe some previous themes. Mm-hmm. But also, like, there's always a contingency of people who get it wrong. Yeah, and then there's like also different schools of thought there's some people Mm -hmm. who are like the mech you should just be able to wear a pretty dress and go to this party this fundraiser gala and then there's people who are like no like you need to show up and like do your homework like it's such a (laughs) hot commodity this ticket right Mm -hmm. um but from like someone who's into fashion who is like pro nonprofit fundraising making money and pro history i'm just like everyone's Mm -hmm. literally wrong yeah everyone's just wrong so 
the theme this year was what the Gilded Age, right? No, it's no, okay. no, no, no. Okay. okay, so here's here's where the confusion <laughs> lies, guys. Yeah. So the theme is actually the theme is set by the exhibit. Right. The exhibition mm-hmm. is an anthology of fashion, America, yes. an anthology of fashion. Oh. So the purpose of this exhibit was to showcase parts of a, like a wide swath of American fashion history, specifically giving highlight to folks who had traditionally never been lauded before, a.k.a. women mm-hmm. and people of color. Okay, Mm -hmm. that is what the exhibition theme is. The dress code was Mm -hmm. gilded glamour. Yes. But it was very kind of unclear whether they meant gilded age or or like just this idea of gilded, (laughs) which is, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like flamboyant. I think either way, if you want to interpret it, I think as long as you gave an interesting look, I'm like, you know what? Like, don't really care. Yeah, I I I am one of those people who support the avant-garde when it comes to fashion. That is what you want from this event. Yes. You want a spectacle, you know? So, yes. Yeah. But then but then, you know, I don't think you need to dress in costume. Like you don't have to come up in a gilded like if you want to interpret it your way in whatever way. I think as long as you have a good story and thought process mm-hmm. behind it, it's always interesting to see how designers and the wearer, you know, these celebrities interpret the theme but then um but then like like the hot take all these takes on the internet was like bitch you know what none of you like go through like a historical fashion phase i guess that's not common like i have read enough or it's enough of a hobby of mine where i can like clock a silhouette for the right time Mm -hmm. i'm also like a theater major so like historical costuming is kind of like a big deal and like all these stupid bitches were like you were in Bridgerton. Why did Bridgerton is Regency? You're literally a yeah. hundred years off. Yeah, yeah. Or like they're like this. This like these panniers are great. I was like, that is 17th mm-hmm. century. That is like literally 200 years off. You are off. I'm just like like if they wanted to do like if the criticism was like it's not gilded enough. I'm like fine, but the criticism was like oh you're not era appropriate. I was like you're not era appropriate either. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, this is as someone who does not get fashion. I'm just glad. Actually, I'm not sure. Was there a racist incidents in this year's theme or not? No, because there was nothing. It wasn't China and it wasn't like. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I think China was always like a weird. That was a weird year, even though that gave us Rihanna's <laughs> look, which was fan fucking tastic. Yes. Still my favorite Met Gala look to this day. Yes. Um, and like, I don't like And here's my hot take. I don't get the Blake Lively love. Lively love. She wore a dress. She always wears a dress. She wears the same silhouette every single year. Was the story cute? Sure. Whatever. Was the dress pretty? Yeah, sure. Is she like the blandest person to ever wear dresses? Pretty. Yeah. She's a, she's wow. in content. She's so bland. She is so bland. And she has this whole narrative where it's like, I style myself. It's like, yeah, I can tell because you're boring. <laughs> you're, it's She would dress herself like any hot, blonde, skinny woman with access to money would. There's no style. I mean, isn't She just has resources. Yeah. And then I get I guess. And then I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's like also like from an organiz for, from the organizer standpoint, I'm like, maybe also not the best idea in this year. Like, I think mm-hmm. everyone was scared to go out because like, how can you I mean, celebrities, a lot of them are dumb, but like, you know, they under they still understand there's a fine balance between selling the fantasy and like not coming off too you know, out of touch. You know what they could have done was masquerade. 
and had everyone <laughs> wear some sort of mask and mm. figure it out and decide what they how they interpreted that. This is why so, Han yeah. is to be a part of that. <laughs> was it Met committee? Yeah, <laughs> picking the yeah. themes. Um, I mean, there oh. are just so many options. But yeah, it was funny to, to see the actual exhibit, which was kind of horrifying. Right, because they had these weird like mannequins that would look. Dead. Oh, they cre- created vignettes. Oh, they yeah. had these like directors create vignettes, and it was like this is kind of creepy. Yeah, they all looked very dead. Um, it wasn't <laughs> like Madame Tussauds. It was like dead, and um, so I was looking at that on Getty Images, and then all of a sudden the actual Met Gala like red carpet happens, and I was like, this is totally a different feel. <laughs> Like it's like lively and everything, and then and but like the actual exhibit is kind of like, <laughs> um, I don't know. It, it's 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 such a bizarre thing that I really love, and I'm like, I'm always well. I was I was very upset that it got marred for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was wild to see as people were tweeting about the Getty looks, and I guess Jason mm-hmm. Derulo falling down some stairs. No, that's a meme, Marvin. He wasn't at the Met Gala. Oh. <laughs> Well, he he fell downstairs the previous time, and so they now use it as a meme for everything. Oh, yes, yes. So I, um, I learned something today. Um, <laughs> when political dropped that leaked report, and then everyone's like, well, there was suddenly was, some cognitive, cognitive dissonance on Twitter between the two well, stories. Yeah, what was interesting is how long the Met Gala stuff kept going, and then I saw one account, and I will not name them because I'm not going to shame them, but they clearly created previous uh, like fake Met Gala tweets. You know, like, oh, Rudy Giuliani came in his best dress, you know, and they had a like fake, you know, like Photoshop, whatever. And those were definitely scheduled because those were going on for a little while longer than they should have been. So, uh, yeah. And then after a while, I think people understood, like, maybe let's just like not talk about this for a little bit. Well, and then you got the wave of people coming out of the Doctor Strange premiere going, movie was awesome. Wait, what happened? Yeah, there's there are a lot of people just kind of like I went for a walk and I came back to the darkest timeline, all that type of stuff. Yeah, Raymond fell asleep and he woke up and was like, "What the fuck happened? Why is <laughs> yeah. everyone talking about Roe?" Oh no, I'm like, "Boo!" When people are talking about Roe v. Wade, there's only one thing they're talking about. It's not good. <sighs> Men, Men, truly, the horror all the time. Mm-hmm. The fullest this has been of a full week for men. Right <laughs> all right. <laughs> Well, I guess that's what's popping this week, for better or worse. Um, before we get to do we want this, let's check in real quick with Top Chef. Sure. Um, nothing major happened this week. Um, our Asians are safe. Um, it's episode, what was it, like nine? I can't remember the number, but it was, I like the theme. Yeah, um, it was a great theme. So um, the elimination theme this week was soul food, right? It took place in Freedmanstown, um, which was a settlement for Freedmans after the Emancipation Proclamation. Um, actually, not even after. No, it was Juneteenth. 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 Actually, yeah, the Texas is the last, all the, slaves, the last yeah. group. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and it's always horrifying to me. <laughs> yeah. And so the um, the challenge was soul food, which was kind of, you know, if you study black food ways, there's this whole thing about soul food being black food, but also the result of like enslaved people being brought to France to learn their food so they can come back and cook for their masters. And that turned into food they cooked for themselves and turned into, you know, during the Great Migration, food that they brought over as tastes of home. Uh, But in essence, soul food is like home food, right? They call it down-home cuisine. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's evocative of like stuff your mom makes, which I think all of the chefs translated pretty well in terms of here's stuff that reminds me of home and 
you know, like family. Um, yeah. Even even the dude that went home, Noma guy, poor yeah. one out for him, I guess, made his mom's meatloaf. You know what? Like, I I still give him enough credit. That was like the most human food I've seen him make. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> and even with a dry meatball, I still probably would have enjoyed it. Um, I I was curious while I was watching this. If you, let's say, if you were a chef or whatever, like, what would you make for this? Like, you don't have to tell me, like, your twist on it, but what is the dish that you would learn how to make and and for your comfort food dish? Stewed beef. Oh, my God. Mine is very similar. Yeah. Um. So when I was growing up, uh, you've probably heard of tit ha, um, mm. but mine would be ba ha, <laughs> which for a while there, I remember asking my mom, like, why is this meat so soft? Like, what's the stew with the soft meat? And then finally, she's like, it's veal. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. It's a baby cow. Yeah. So, so I would make the version that's not veal, but it's a stew that has like really tender beef, uh, carrots and mushrooms. And I think there's tomatoes in it or something, but it's different from the other stews I've had for oh. Vietnamese food. And I haven't had it in ages, in fact, to the point where I was like, I think I'm going to have to ask my mom to make it when I see her next. Oh. Yeah, so um, I have my mom's recipe for stewed beef, which is in Chinese, it's luba or um, lo zhao, mm. which is basically just minced meat simmered in like rice wine and soy sauce for like hours and hours. Um, and then you, you eat it with rice. I like all stews. How about you, Jess? <laughs> uh, my mom's favorite dish, the one, my favorite thing that my mom makes, because my dad actually cooks more often, um, but she makes this really fantastic like stewed duck with sticky rice it's stuff with sticky oh. rice it's like way better than any turkey mm. and it's like super labor intensive um so like you know she doesn't make it that often but then like the sticky rice stuffing with oh. like veggies in it and it's like all cooks all like the duck juice gets into the stuffing it's like super savory and like mm, i love it so much i need that how can i like get her to make a second one <laughs> Oh, just come at, over next Justice time. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Anytime. They love. Okay. My dad loves. They love cooking for people. So, oh my god, anytime. I would die. I would. That sounds so good. Yeah. Um, and on that note, also on a go Asian note, at least, um, Jay won the challenge with her. Um, I guess was it cod or whitefish or yeah, what kind it, of fish was it? I forgot what kind of fish. Probably um, like cod. But yeah, it's it was cooked so soft with also like a pureed sweet potato and stuff. And mm. she was like, it's basically baby food, you know? <laughs> um, which, but it sounded so good. And you could even tell by the way the chef, uh, the judges were raving that that was going to win. <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of the dishes look really good. That beet masa uh, sopes looked yes. really good that Evelyn made. I would eat the greens and uh, corn, uh, <laughs> Uh, pretty much, I would eat everything, even Noma's stu- stupid food. But <laughs> I would probably put some of um, some of Ashley's gravy onto that. Yeah, beetle, yeah. Beetle, right? I was just dis- yeah, I was disappointed in how hers came out because like I was just like I kind of want all the black people to do well on this yeah. this one. Also, it sounded really good, but I think it I understood like the two together didn't quite work. So all right, well, Go Asian continues on to next week. Um, two Asians still on the board, Jay and Buddha, um, as well as our three blacks. Actually, all mm-hmm. the white chefs have been eliminated, huh? Now it's only. Oh, it- you know what? Uh, Luke was the cheese that stood alone, and now he's gone. <laughs> oh, I mean, who knows? Last Chance Kitchen. <laughs> I'm excited about this week's challenge, which is the space challenge, because you can't have a Houston season without yes. space. Yeah, I was just waiting for it. <laughs> uh. 
All right. Well, that's what's popping for this week. Uh, when we come back, we're talking about the latest Asian American entertainment news in our monthly news segment. Do we want this? Stick around. Hey, Sharon. Hey, Raman. How are folks still racist? I know, right? We're like two decades into the 21st century. Yeah. And second question, where's my jetpack? Well, I can't help you there, but have I got a podcast for you. Modern Minorities is a show where each week, my longtime pal Raman and I uncover common and uncommon truths that we all need to hear for our majority brains and ears. Yeah. Sharon and I have spoken to doctors, lawyers, directors, climate activists, angry Asians, athletes, chefs, writers. Folks who are Black, brown, gay, straight, and everything in between. Past guests have included comedian Margaret Cho, Southern Poverty Law Center journalist Geraldine Mariba, comics creator Jean Lun Yang, and many, many more. We've even talked about Ramadan, Black History Month, Kamala Khan, and Robin being queer. It's like we're trying to solve racism with the podcast. Challenge accepted. So check out Modern Minorities at modmypod.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Remember, we're all modern minorities, but we're no one's model minority. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. On this episode, we're going over the latest Asian American entertainment news and ask ourselves if we want this. Um, so yeah, let's let's start with Han. Um, what's our first story? <laughs> we have finally, after talking about it for so long, gotten the trailer for Fire Island, which is the formerly <laughs> of Quibi fame so yeah, uh, i never thought i'd be so happy for all of was it meg whitman's money <laughs> that went into <laughs> quibi <laughs> oh my gosh uh quibi the funny thing about quibi when we joke about it is that it even lasted longer than cnn plus so there you go uh cnn plus for for those who had yeah, never heard of it which is I pretty much everybody was a th- <laughs> it lasted maybe a month uh it, it it was bizarre like had the weirdest programming ever um, what was like, even well, on it? All I know about it was uh, I saw a news article saying CNN Plus is dead. Well, little background. Um, my, one of my coworkers was watching CNN Plus and kept saying, like, we need to write about this. And I was like, no, because <laughs> I was like, it's not going to stay. It's not going to last that long. And it's like bizarre. And she's like, yeah, it's so bizarre. And she kept talking about the programming. And everyone was like, this sounds great. If we were having this much fun talking about it, we should write about it. And so I was like, fuck. So we wrote a like, here are like, whatever shows on cnn plus we watched it so you didn't have to <laughs> and then like literally the next week it got canceled or whatever um so some so of the you're stuff, saying you killed cnn plus uh we gave it a salon talks so we had an interview <laughs> and we wrote that that thing and i actually toned down the cheeky snarkiness of it so it was they they were lucky to get the <laughs> like the publicity we gave them. Anyway, so besides actual 24-hour news, they also had all their CNN personalities doing extra shows. So there oh. was an, an Anderson Cooper parental guidance show, <laughs> being what? a parent. Um, there was a uh, book show, review show. Um, uh, Jake Tapper. <laughs> Jake Tapper. Oh, my God. And then there's a Wolf Blitzer show, but I can't remember even what it's about. Uh, there were some other bizarre shows, and there were shows that we were, we were waiting to come out. So Allison Roman was supposed to have a show. Oh, I know, yeah. I know. And so I was actually curious about that one. So I don't know where any of these shows are going now that they're dead. So, um, like, 
uh, <laughs> if other other networks or if it's dead dead who knows but uh yeah I, I think even for me i was just like look even if you were gonna make these weird shows like just put them on hbo max because that's a platform everyone has it's still part of the turner family um so i was like why would you think anyone needs a 24-hour streaming service when you already have a 24-hour news network um and then what's <laughs> like just, what is all this extra yeah. what is all this extra like family like home programming from them it made no sense anyway sorry i went on off of the tangent let's go back to fire island <laughs> sorry <laughs> i'm so sorry um but so fire island as we have described this before is the uh the super gay fire island version of pride and prejudice starring um joel kim booster as the he's the lizzie he's the lizzie yeah yeah he's the lizzie of the pride and prejudice and then his his sister i guess as would be bo and yang um as the jane and they go to fire island uh they do run into someone who ends up being very snooty and 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 of course you know you don't overhear anything good um what i love about this because even though someone may told this to me it wasn't until i watched the trailer that it really sunk in but yeah, this is Pride and Prejudice. That no, that Margaret Cho is Miss Bennett. Oh, yeah, she <laughs> she is she is Miss Bennett, and that is an inspired yes. choice. It is so great for her basically to be like she's in her like amazing house cabin thingy. I don't know what do you call it on a Fire Island. I guess it's just a home, like and a cabin, like a like bungalow, a cab- bungalow, yeah. a bungalow, a bungalow, and then she's like my girls and she's greeting all the queens and so it's just which you know how they met they all worked at the same shift (laughs) at a drag brunch which is very accurate as well because nothing bonds you like the horrors of retail or service yes i mean there's so many things in it that just are just exquisite even there's like a quote from clueless there's just so many wonderful things and it's just a trailer it got me so excited. It is also rated R because people, I guess, I don't know, queer. Um, but I was like, but also hopefully that just means that they get like very blue. And uh, I don't know. It just seems like a good time. I'm super excited. But yeah, I do. We want this. Hell yes. <laughs> I've never wanted anything more. I've um, never wanted it. Exactly. Oh, my God. <laughs> also, because this is you know directed by our friend Andrew Ahn, um, oh, yes. who is finally freed from from bummer film jail to making something super <laughs> oh my <joyful> and funny. <laughs> that's a that's very accurate. Yeah. I mean Andrew's so talented. And yes, I'm very glad that I get to watch a happy film of his. <laughs> yes. I, bummer I support him in general, but totally agree. And I think this is actually what's really important when it comes to marginalized, you know, um stories is just have a lot of fun ones. <laughs> we Yes. Like, we deserve kinda, to be happy too. Yeah. All right. Uh, Jess, what's our next story? All right. Our next story, uh, speaking of trailers, is the Obi-Wan Kenobi episodic uh, that's premiering on Disney Plus very soon. And, you know, I had to like wait. I think every- when it came out, everyone asked me, "Is like, did you watch it? I was like, no, I've been too busy and I haven't had time to have the emotional space to sit down and watch this. I finally had found time to sit down and watch it and you know I'm not dead because we do not get Hayden Christensen's face but I'm pretty excited <laughs> um, you know we get Ewan McGregor back I think canonically the aging works out well mm-hmm. like he's mm-hmm. about the right age as he would have been from like clo- or I think he's actually even older but you know like Tatooine's son it really ages you and that maybe explains why it's only been like 17 years because 
or 19, right? Because Luke is 19, like at the beginning. Well, in this of... one, he's still, Luke is like five, I think. Yeah, so 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 it hasn't been that long since that whole the end of episode three. But he's, te- right? like, he's like ten years away from becoming Alginus. So, which which is you know again that Tatooine son is real harsh. Um, really cool seeing some you know old faces like Uncle Owen is back. Young Uncle Owen is back. Oh, what's the actor's name? Joel Edgerton. Joel Edgerton. Yes, he's mm-hmm. back. And then we get some really cool new people like the new kind of Sith henchman. She looks like an utter badass. Mm-hmm. Of course, we get the chest panel of Darth Vader. And I'm like, okay, here's the thing. I'm a little worried because I do think a lot of the episodic Lucasfilm stuff has been a letdown. Yeah. I also think that a lot of these Disney Plus shows and that's part of the strategy asked for too much homework. Mm hmm. Um, like I have, you know, my boyfriend is probably one of the biggest Star Wars fans and he's just like, I have not been able to like, I've just haven't had time to like watch a lot of these shows and you really can't just jump in. You have to like yeah. watch them in order and then watch all the auxiliary stuff. And like, that's too much homework. But the great thing about this is that, I mean, we watch one, two, three, four, five, six. We know what's it about. And I'm gonna be real. This series works best when you just fucking talk about the Skywalkers mm-hmm. and 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 the people around them, right? Like, which includes Obi Wan, who's uh, you know Skywalker. He's like dad. He's like an honorary dad. He's like surrogate dad. Mm-hmm. And like, I feel like that has been so much of the issue with all these other shows. Like, they don't know what to do, and they have to bring a Skywalker in it to make it make sense right like even the mandalorian which i thought had a pretty fun first season Mm -hmm. like all of a sudden like it became the luke skywalker show once you had luke skywalker in there yeah i think they should have not done that (laughs) they shouldn't have done that like like they like they create all these like honestly i thought boba fett was pretty disappointing i mean if they had done that though i would have wished they just used their de-aging tech on actual mark hamill instead of bringing in like robot voice and image mark hamill did you know mark hamill wasn't even voicing that guy it's all like deep fake stuff I mean, it's just like, really this 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 franchise, this property, this story doesn't like the people who are right now shepherding it don't seem to know what to do. Mm-hmm. And they can't seem to get away from the Skywalker of it all or the Jedi of it all. So I'm kind of hoping that this series will finally just stop dancing around it. Mm-hmm. And like, like you obviously want to do this. Just fucking do it. Like be self-aware, do it. And I think it's really helpful that it is helmed by Deborah Chow who did, I think, some of the best episodes in that first season of The Mandalorian. Yep. Fantastic action <clears throat> director. Um, so I'm, and you know what? At the end of the day, who gives a fuck? Because I'm going to see my fucking boo again, Anakin Skywalker, and I'm fucking <laughs> hype. I I would like to go on the record that she's been A1 since day one, even when everyone is hating him, <laughs> when people before had its redemption arc and people were like, hey, Christensen was wrong because George, no, 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 I've been number one, number one since day one, okay? Do not hop on my fucking bandwagon now. For my birthday, I just got a shirt that was like Anakin Skywalker from Hot Topic. It's fantastic. I'm so excited for th- for that and for you, Jess, because this is Thank something... You. This is something generational that I had to learn that people really love Anakin Skywalker because um, you are not alone in this. Like, I've definitely heard this from some of my other friends. And I was just like, oh, this will actually be kind of fun to see, like, see this happening in like real time with my friends. I mean, he was the original a, wife guy. It hit me <laughs> at a very formative time. Um, and I'm just saying, if you're not going to slaughter a bunch of innocent children for me, I don't want it. 
Yeah. I, I mean, it's just so tragic. Yeah. It's so hot. <laughs> I don't know if I lacked tragic when I was younger. I'm going to have to think about that. Anyway, so. I will say, not to burst your bubble, but um, most of the those cool looking bad guys are from Star Wars Rebels. Yeah, no, I. Series. But, but you still actually don't really need to know it. Um, but you're right. A lot of the Inquisitors, is that what you're talking about? Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> so. Yeah. No, I want this too. Um, I am still holding out hope. That, like you just, this will be a one of the good a ball ballpark hit run. I mean, because they're like so good they're, at they're what like one for three right now, right? So I mean, one half. I think it's just in general they don't know how to end things. No, I think what it is is that there's some bigger plan from Yay on High that is not letting them just tell the story in the way it would that would best serve the specific story like they're like you have to get from point a to point b even if it doesn't really make sense because we have point b is going to connect to point c in a totally different project and so you're just like oh but like you know from a storytelling point of view maybe you don't even you know you don't it doesn't make sense to get them there but you're like well you have to get them there and you have six episodes to do it and you're like okay <laughs> Like, honestly, I who would say no to a Star Wars project? I would not say no. I'd be like, yeah, fuck yeah. yeah. Even if it goes down in flame, I'm going I'm going to do the Star Wars project. Who wouldn't? Um, <laughs> so, But yes, I'm hopefully I mean, just don't like don't murder Obi-Wan. Like he's one of the coolest characters in like pop culture history. Too, but he cannot gets <laughs> murdered in the fourth yes, episode. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yes, I know he's but like, don't don't metaphorically kill his character yes, like yes. yes we know he literally dies. it's fine <laughs> it's fine it's fine um that's what we call dramatic irony marvel yes. we know how it's going to end and that doesn't make the journey any less interesting to watch in fact it may make it better dramatic irony I know. but i mean if we get another anakin vader confrontation Mm. Um. Yeah. No. Super excited for Obi Wan. I will watch it just because I am. Because you find you and McGregor pretty. I'm weak. Yeah. And you want to kiss weak. him. Um. Speaking of um studio shenanigans, my next story is kind of a bummer. Um, Justin Lin has announced that he is no longer on board as director for Fast X, having stepped down from the position. Um, because of I guess. Differences in opinion with the studio, uh, but according to IndieWire, it's because Vin Diesel is a dick. Um, oh, uh, yeah. So, do I mean, we want are this? we surprised? We kind of, kind of knew this. Yeah, but... kind of knew this. So, do we want this? I mean, look, I I would prefer to have like gone the whole way with Justin Lin, just for all the reasons in the world. Especially he was supposed to do the last three, right? So, was the, yeah. the, the final Justin Lin yeah. trilogy? Yeah, I I liked this and and this being part of his legacy, the bigger legacy of the Justin Linness of the cinematic you know universe. But um, and also like I was saying is because Fast and the Furious franchise has so many Asians, and we know this next one is supposed to have a big Han thing. I would have trusted him to at least make sure that they have decent depictions. Um, now I'm not quite so sure. Especially run by, I think it's a French guy. The guy who did the transporter, like the literal movie where an Asian woman is stuffed in the trunk. Yeah, yeah. So he's done a lot more than that. But still, I have to say, a European man 
No, I'm not. Nah. No, no. Would he survive in Brazil? No. (laughs) I mean, it's a bummer. We don't want this. But I still will watch the Fast 10 movie. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I just don't want that news. Um, I wish it did not Yeah, I mean, it was bad enough that he left the film, but leaving it because... And you hear, I guess there's just some leaks about how Vin Diesel has a lot of power. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's running the show now. He's been an executive producer for quite a while. You can definitely tell that um, he's calling the shots at this point. You know, he's not literally directing it, but he's definitely calling the shots for a lot of it. And it makes sense, though. Like, it's pretty much his story. <laughs> you know, like... I um, guess, but it's kind of wild, together. isn't it? Because the whole reason he has uh, ability to call the shots is because Justin Lin rescued this franchise with yeah. Tokyo Drift. The and film because, that yeah. he decided not to be in. Yeah. Right. And then Fast Five made an obscene amount yeah. of money. But, you know, like... And Seven, yeah. I mean, it, it's just like when a CEO gets voted out, you know? <laughs> it happens. <laughs> I, I hate to say it. I'm not happy about it. But, like, of the two who are fans, just general fans gonna care is leaving, they would... They wouldn't want to lose Vin. So yeah. that's the power he has right now. I mean, it sounds um, like Justin is staying on as producer. And it sounds like at least for Fast X, the crew is staying put for... Because this happened, what, like days into production, right? Like they just started filming this Fast yeah. X. Hmm. So, yeah. You know what, though? I am happy for Justin Lin that he is, um, you know, prioritizing his own well-being. Yes. So good for him. He is a very talented man. He will, he doesn't need to do this. Really, the only ones, you know, in the divorce, the only one who suffers are the children. Me, I am the children. I am baby. Um, but <laughs> yes, I hope he gets, you know, at this point, you know, they're, they're wrapping up the franchise and I do hope that they're going to do like, exp- they're going to expand their universe. Of course, it's like the, one of their biggest film franchises Universal has and maybe Justin Lin will join for one of those and he'll definitely executive produce a lot of them but yeah I want my like all female version I would take a Hobson Shaw too I had a good time with Hobson Shaw not gonna lie yeah all right well um I guess we're still on board for Fast X but sad that it's no longer Justin Lin joint we'll see how that affects the final product um all right Han what's our next story all right so uh Maya Erskine is joining Donald Glover and Mr. and Mrs. Smith, she is replacing Phoebe Waller-Bridge. They, so they, uh, Maya Erskine and Donald Glover are the co-stars. And if for those of you who are not familiar with what Mr. and Mrs. Smith is, it is um, a series that is a, another adaptation of the dog, uh, dog, <laughs> Doug Lyman movie that starred Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt. Um, they were spies that were... Uh, they're kind of like lovers, but they are also like hired to assassinate each other. So it's a lot of like love, hate, but also like sexiness. Donald Glover has been is writing the series. My personal take on it is I love Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Like I will watch anything she's in, especially if she gets to write it. Um, but she left over creative differences. And not terribly surprising, though, because she's a very strong personality. So is Donald Glover. And however the story, you know, went down. She, I'm sure she's still going to do fine. I adore Maya Erskine. Like, she is the creator of Pen15. Um, both her and Donald Glover together, like, I want to ask, do you, we want this? Yeah, I want to see Maya Erskine do action. 
I think that's like Me the too. sell here, right? Yeah. I, I, I action also. I love spy stuff. I want to see undercover shit. I want to see people like wearing outfits and and speaking into devices and you know like skulking around. <laughs> well, yeah, because um, in the yes. original film, um, I'm assuming Myers is playing. Ange- I don't know if they're, they're the same characters or not. Um, right. They might not be. But Angelina Jolie's character is the one that does like the high tech spy shit, and then Brad Pitt's character is like the down and dirty, yeah, like like beat him yeah. up spy, like yeah, yeah. And who knows, like. Again, this might just be the barest adaptation, like inspiration, jumping off point for it. Um, frankly, I don't care yeah. who does what. But yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. I mean, also um, a black man, Asian woman couple, probably exponentially more interesting than black man, white woman couple. I have a hot take. Yes. I really love Maya Erskine. I think she can do this. I think she can do anything. Mm-hmm. I'm worried about the Donald Glover part because I remember Donald Glover and that he has yellow fever. Mm. So I don't know how I feel. <laughs> Wait, does he? About this. Does oh, he? 100%, huh? 100%. Yeah. How do I not know this? Oh, because were you a childish Gambino? Oh, no. If you're, no. if you're an early childish Gambino fan, he has several references to how much he loves Asian women mm. uh, in a fetishizing way, not in a, like, a respectful way. Okay. And also, um, back before he blew up as like, Donald Glover and Childish Gambino and everything. He like did a college tour. Like I think he like um performed at UCLA and he was just like and my friend was like on the committee that like does did those kind of events and he just kept making kind of like gross comments about how much he like loves Asian women. Well, I would I would just have to say is even though he is the co-creator of this, Maya Erskine is also uh her own person as far as like creative person she may not be a co-creator in it but i have a feeling like she wouldn't let any of that shit fly i hope so if her if she's gonna be co-starring in this none of that's gonna get by i don't believe i i have full faith in her also like you know dude hopefully can grow up uh (laughs) so but (laughs) yeah yeah i i i really don't think any of that could fly but we shall see. <laughs> Watch the world surprise you. I mean, I just can't see her letting that get by her, you know? Yeah. Um, because then the next story we would have is that she left for creative differences because it would be that or she would fix it. Oh. I mean, it's still early in production, so we never know. I guess we never know. We'll keep our eyes peeled for more for more, <laughs> more uh, for more announcements. But uh, yeah. Tentative yes. Tentative yes. Tentative yes. Um, and I do, I do love the concept of like, you know, I'm watching that anime about spy assassin family with a telepath daughter. So, you know, mm-hmm. this is just more of that. Uh, hidden identities is yeah. a recipe for good comedy and good, good intrigue. All right. Who's All right. Next? Jess. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Jess, uh, what's what's our next story? Our next story is the Casper live action <laughs> TV series is in the works with Peacock from, uh, you know, a... A common work friend of ours, mm-hmm. Kai Wu. Um, a hundred fucking percent. Yes, I want this. Okay. <laughs> okay. Like, again, this might be a generational thing. Han, you tell me. Casper, very vital to my sexual awakening. <laughs> I speak specifically of the fantastic 1995 live action feature, Casper, that stars Christina Rishi mm-hmm. and like um, Eric Idle. Mm-hmm. But really, of Monty Python, Eric mm-hmm. Aspel. But, but really, really, Devin Sawa, right? 
Devin mm-hmm. Sawa as real as when Casper gets to come back as a real as a real boy for like the end, and he's like that slow dancing. He's like, can I? Keep, oh my god, I can't even see this without like just melting into a puddle. I don't even know the premise of this show. What's gonna happen? But. 100% yes I want this and for those of you who don't know fun fact Kaiwu has a Casper tattoo oh. on her body so the perfect person she gets it she totally gets it I trust her 100% with this and taking it to a modern era or maybe not a modern era who knows again I know nothing about this project other than live action Casper and I want it yeah <laughs> no I'm always down for Kai's project she just brings a lot to the things she works on like the ghost spread I don't, I don't know if you've watched that but mm-hmm. uh, it took a you know, a pretty somber um, adventure plot through the Asian underworld and turned into a sea drama which was yeah. pretty awesome um, and yeah I want to see her take on Casper it's even more awesome knowing that she is like such a huge fan of the source material as well it's also like pretty fucked up because if you think about it Casper like it's just a kid who died <laughs> yes yes I you are right that that is a generational thing, although I have heard plenty about it throughout the years because it, the weird thing is, you know, Devin Sawa isn't actually that much younger than me. So we're of the same generation. And um, I definitely helped out. Uh, I've interviewed him a few times for things in which his fandom definitely followed him throughout his adulthood. Hello. Yeah. So <laughs> that I remember just, always being like was it idle hands and there are people who were like no it was casper <laughs> so i was like oh interesting let me tell you very formative okay so sorry i'm reading um it is basically going to be a riverdale as interpretation oh, wow. of casper oh, which kind of casper. it's a sexy casper which i am even more down for it's gonna be a live action horror adventure series um wait so and is, is this gonna be like teen casper and is he gonna have abs i hope so what and I, he finds yeah sorry what I find interesting is when you say that when he became a real boy again and he's Devin Sawa and everyone was like, yes, it's the opposite of what happened with Beauty and the Beast. Because, yeah, they're like, <laughs> you were hotter as the furry. Let's go back. Let's yeah. go back. Um, it's it's, you know, I, I the, my only question, my only question and where I would have concern is like, how would you CGI animate like a sexy ghost? Because, yeah, it's, it's Riverdale. The whole point of Riverdale is that it's sexy, right? Like, maybe you need to go back to uh, the spirit of Christmas. I, <laughs> you know what? I'm excited to watch. Good or bad, it's going to be a good time. Let's be real. And, uh, you know, we love a mystery. We love a dark secret. We love a little spookiness. And then throw in some hot. And you know what? If they could get, like, Devin Sawa to be, like, a cameo. Yes. Christina Ricci somewhere. Both of them. Yeah, both of them. Mm -hmm. Yes. I think they would do it. Totally both of them would do it, I think. It's such a good movie. Like, the 95 was such a good movie. And I do think that is the one that lives in the pop culture sphere. Because who (laughs) reads, like, the comics? Who remembers, like, the cartoon? Nobody. It is the 95 (laughs) Devin Sawa, Christina Ricci live action movie. I watched the cartoon, but I don't (laughs) remember it that well because he was a weird ghost. But I do remember the theme song which was fantastic um i'm actually looking to see where i can stream it because i probably need to do some uh hulu plus okay so oh, yes you have to watch it you have to watch it i also adore christina ricci so she's so good in it anything. yeah all right so our last story is i guess you know 
on in on theme for this episode some bummer news so um <laughs> it's about netflix and their oh. earnings report and the fact that um they lost like 54 billion in market value in one day um, after posting their first um decrease in subscriptions in mm-hmm. the last decade um this coincides with a lot of just panic news about how netflix is thinking about placing ads on their services about Mm -hmm. them clamping down on shared passwords and all this stuff that i don't know if the the accuracy of those stories but definitely like the market was panicking because of netflix and that caused a lot of tumult in the streaming space Um, but it also caused netflix to um cut a lot of their staff including a ton of diverse um staff that he hired for their tudum um Mm -hmm. outlet Um, yeah you know probably connected also they canceled a lot of their animation projects including boons and curses which was a south asian inspired animated series yeah that was a bummer it looks so cute i mean like the main character is like a sentient butter yeah (laughs) i mean it's netflix in general we we've known for quite a while that they grew too fast to keep up with all of their goals or whatever their their vision because the thing is their vision was about growth and like putting out product but it wasn't necessarily didn't have a creative vision right and so it like that's why in some ways we get some high highs like really great stuff and then some really weird like bad lows we're just like how did that get through um so i think that's part of you know the bigger picture of why netflix is always in the news you know you get stuff like dave Chappelle saying stuff you know (laughs) or or insatiable i think that series also was just like very cringy um so you get the kissing booth and you also get like yeah all the boys love before Right. right, exactly, exactly. So it's highly inconsistent, but it's in everyone's home. I do know some people who were, uh, maybe they weren't staff, but they definitely wrote for Tadam. Uh, being a TV journalist myself, uh, they definitely also hired tons of freelancers. So those were some of my friends. Um, and But here's the thing, as much as I don't blame anyone for taking that Netflix dollar, like I've even thought about it, when I was in between jobs, I'm like, you can hire me for six months and give me a ton of money and then fire me. That's fine. You know, um, so I don't begrudge any of my journalist friends for, you know, taking that job. But at the same time, um, Netflix thinking that they could basically write their own content for journalism. <laughs> that is so like a conflict of interest. Yeah, it was very weird. So I remember when it came out and someone not, not on the editorial staff, but just working upper level of salon was just like, what is this? Should we try to do something with this? I was like, no. (laughs) It's just like, it is purely Netflix paid for content on their own site. And like, it doesn't make sense. Like, I think we've seen a little bit of that. I think HBO had a blog where they put some Game of Thrones stuff there, but it wasn't like meant to be seen as journalism i think it was clearly like oh this person we talk to them because there are like it's promotion it's not editorial it's not right right but the way it was presented looked like it was almost editorial and that was just weird to me like it looked like it was journalism and it's not clearly they were like yeah you sit on the throne of lies yeah and and then that's also where it kind of came to be like a very weird um like 
there's it's already bad enough that people don't know what journalism is but then for that to blur everything i was just like uh because there's a reason why most places if you see it it actually has a very clear label sponsored content where you know that's being paid and we're being paid to to write this list for you know like amazon cutlery or whatever and so it's very like upfront whereas netflix it wasn't that clear what was going on there. So, yeah, I that's yeah. the only thing. And I think, it, I mean, I think it's purely on the side. Like, Netflix started out as a DVD company. They didn't know how to be a media company. <laughs> or one that created content. It's also why there's issues when it comes to Amazon. Because it's like it wasn't a an entertainment place. You know, Hulu is the one that started off as a streaming company. So, it it's it's just bizarre like everything is bizarre about the streaming world yeah i mean it's mixed because i want this because i feel like streaming in general is due for like a reckoning in terms of its business Mm -hmm. models but but at the same time i don't want this because the first to suffer will always be like the more quote-unquote risky projects which is always projects starring or made by you know people of color right yeah i mean even what megan markle her thing's not being made it's just like not that she's hard. Even Meghan Markle, yeah. <laughs> my yeah. goodness, what the what chance do the rest of us have? <laughs> um, but yeah, so like I think it, it's one of those things. It's like I laugh about Quibi, but of course people lost jobs when Quibi went down. So you know, it's kind of it's bad. I feel um, like Quibi yeah. was always going to be a crash grab, though. Like, uh, but you know, but yeah. you know, and like Quibi, like they still they were like building that for like two years at least he got two years but i think the sudden abruptness of like Mm -hmm. like it was five months and like it's gone like i think that whiplash is kind of uniquely cruel yeah and you know these journalists also just they were relying on this especially during a pandemic Um, yeah i mean like it's not like journalists make money (laughs) no no this is why there was a really there was a really awful like vulture piece that was kind of like a ha ha you should know better like that, you know, young journalist, foolish journalist to take this job. And I'm like, no, no. That's sad. Don't do that. No, don't rub salt in the wounds. It's like right. that's life changing money, you know, like yeah. and a for lot of journalists. Them, and a lot of them weren't young. They were like middle of yeah. the road, mid 30s journalists who, you know, need the money. Hey, hey, hey. They were freelancing. Middle of the road, mid 30s, still young in my book. <laughs> OK, well, they weren't green. Let's just say they weren't <laughs> like like they were treating as if they were just just entering the field. Yeah. And that was not the case. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's for me, I was like to dumb was a great uh, like joke. But I, I am sad that <laughs> I like, still can't believe it had to that's go. That's what screen. it is. <laughs> yes. So, dumb. I mean, it was just a dumbass name. Let's be real. Like, so dumb. So yeah. dumb. <laughs> so dumb or is it to dumb? Um, <laughs> <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs> One of the few jokes we can make anymore. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, that'll do it for this edition of Do We Want This? Uh, We'll be back next week for another episode of the Good Pop Culture Club. Uh, Jess Han, if people want to find out more of your thoughts, where can they go? My trash takes and depressed thoughts will be on Twitter at JustJudeTweets. And I am at Hanonymous. You can find me at Marvin Yue. You can find our show at Good Pop Club. We are a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Check out our fellow Asian American hosted podcast by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, I hope you all are hanging in there. It's a tough time for everybody. But, you know, um, at some point, maybe take a break from doom scrolling and just, you know, 
watch some <laughs> I would say Netflix, but yeah, watch some Netflix. Watch some just watch some good time shows. That's, no. No, Marvin, all the fucking in Bridgerton makes me think of my lack of rights. <laughs> See y'all next time. Bye, Bye, everyone. Bye. Hi, I'm Marvin. And I'm Rira. And we're the hosts of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast dedicated to books by Asian and Asian American authors. Each month, we pick a book by an Asian author to read and discuss on the show. We read a variety of genres, including contemporary and historical fiction, sci-fi and fantasy, romance and cozy mysteries, and so much more. Our past book club picks have included Pachinko by Min Jin Lee, Patron Saints of Nothing by Randy Ribeye, Grace of Kings by Ken Liu, and The Kiss Quotient by Helen Huang. Every month, we also go through the latest news in Asian American literature, as well as chat with some awesome Asian authors about their works. So whether you want to start reading for fun again or diversify your TBR list, we got your Asian literature cravings covered. For more info, check out our website at booksandboba.com, and you can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcasts part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.